Uh, there's no church today. I'm sorry. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. I'm sorry. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. My bad. I forgot. It's when, it's, it's when Sunday is a first that it gets me every time. Every time. Today is a fourth Sunday, so there's no children's church today. But I'll, I'll have some entertaining things to share with you. My apologies. <laughs> Oh, it's always that, that first Sunday. So I want to remind you as I do that, I want to remind you that uh, we have Super Bowl uh, subs for sale, and the Super Bowl is coming closer. We've got teams that are headed to the championship game next week, so that means Super Bowl's coming up. If you've been thinking about ordering a sub sandwich or some cookies to help us on our mission trip to Guatemala, please consider doing that after the service today. There are sheets out there on the table, or you can see anybody uh, Stetlers, Taylors, myself, and Chelsea who are going, and we'll get you all signed up for a sub sandwich, and so it gives you something to eat on Super Bowl afternoon as you get ready for the Super Bowl parties, or if you're not even watching the Super Bowl, that's cool too. You can just have a nice sandwich to eat and support a good cause. So I just wanted to mention that. Today we're looking at the book of Exodus as we continue our journey through the Bible, and it's an exciting book, so for you kids that are here today, that'll be a good book to kind of look at together. Exodus, we talked about a little over the summer because we looked at the movie, um, we looked at the movie The Prince of Egypt, and The Prince of Egypt is telling the story of Exodus, uh, at least the first, you know, uh, 13 chapters of Exodus basically are in the movie, uh, so I encourage you to check that out, maybe if you want to take a look and kind of see it dramatized before you. Uh, so today we're looking at Exodus, and I'm going to take us first as we begin talking about it to Exodus chapter 4. That's uh, where we're going to begin today, um, and just kind of look at that for a second. The time period of Exodus is really kind of debated among biblical scholars, but if you want to kind of look at, at what tends to be the general time period, seems to be somewhere around 1200 B.C. Is, is sort of the time period in there, anywhere from 1400 to 1200 B.C. Uh, it's kind of difficult to tell, obviously, because it's so long ago. Uh, but the idea of Hebraic Semite tribes being in Egypt, something that fills along perfectly with what we see in history, uh, that was a lot, of, a lot of tribes coming in and out of those countries, Egypt being a main power of those days, and there's outside the Bible historical evidence of the pharaohs using Semite tribes to help do their projects, build their temples. So that kind of fits with what we see in this passage as well. And it also fits the first time that we see in human history outside the Bible, someone talking about the nation of Israel, it is a pharaoh in Egypt. So Egypt is aware of the existence of Israel maybe before any other uh, kingdom and, and rulers of people are. So that kind of fits what we see. And those are kind of neat things to think about. So the story of Exodus, of course, is God calling his people out of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land, or at least beginning the process of getting them to the promised land. And that's basically the outline of the story. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, I think there's kind of a good summation of what we're going to see in the book of Exodus. Exodus 4, 21 through 23 the Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. 
So this is basically kind of the summation of the conflict between the people of Israel, Israel's God, and Egypt. God says to, God sends Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. Variety of plagues, variety of signs and wonders and judgments come. The, the Pharaoh still doesn't listen, and eventually it ends with the killing of the firstborn, the plague of the firstborn as the angel of death sweeps through. Now, there's a lot to cover in that, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But in this passage, I think we see the central dynamic is that God is saying, I have chosen Israel as my child. This is my son in the world, and I've got a special plan for this particular tribe to show the world, to show all the world who I am. So you need to let them go so that they can worship me. Let them go so that they can serve and be with me in the desert. They need to spend time with me and you need to acknowledge that fact. And it's going to be a conflict between my son and your son. This is what's important to the Pharaoh versus what's important to God. And the whole world's going to know that what God says is important. He's going to put all of his power, his judgment, his presence behind making that happen. So that's kind of what we see in the first part of Exodus. is God saying, this is my child and I'm going to protect my child and bring my child where my child needs to be. So as we look at Exodus and as we go through this uh, a little bit later in the book together, we want to keep in mind the idea that we are each called to be freed to worship. We are meant to be freed to worship God rightly. And that is God's pr uh, purpose in our lives as shown to us by Exodus. He wants to call us out of everything that keeps us from being in right relationship with him and being the children of him that he's called us to be. And he shows us that in the story. So that's the idea. All right, let's turn to Exodus chapter 33, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time here. Exodus 33 through 34, as we see Moses and God having a conversation. So to try to set this up for you, this is after the people of Israel have escaped from Egypt. So I've fast-forwarded all the way through those plagues. Interesting to look at those plagues. It seems like in a lot of cases, each plague was a response to an Egyptian god, so the Egyptians worship different gods, gods of the harvest, gods of the sun, and each of those plagues kind of respond to say, well, you think your god's in charge, but actually this god is in charge, and he's got control of the sun, he's got control of the harvest, he's got control of the water. So that you can kind of see how that works. And then out of that, the people of Israel eventually escape. God pot, uh, parts the Red Sea to free them. They're out in the wilderness. They're following along. They're learning about relying on this God who sends them food from heaven each day, who sends them quails to feed them meat, who send, gives, brings them water out of the rock. And so one day they come to the mountain, this huge mountain called Mount Sinai. And Moses, the leader of the people, goes up the mountain to receive the law from God. And as he's gone, he's gone for a good long time, the Israelites say, well, he's probably dead. So what do we do now? Let's come up with another God to worship because that God didn't really seem to do much for us besides bringing, bringing us from slavery and leading us out in the wilderness. He seems to have killed Moses, so let's find another God. So they create a false God. They create this idol that they uh, form in form of a calf. Moses comes down. He's upset. God's upset. That's where we are in this passage. Exodus 33, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 21. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and have found favor with me. But if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. 
The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, There's a place near here where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So in this passage, we see Moses and God have this conversation. We see the idea that God's pleasure with us, God's favor, his pleasure with us provides protection for us. So in this passage, Moses has just said to God, hey, we need to forgive these people. Uh, we need to find a way to work through this with these people because you've chosen these people. Your name, your reputation is on these people, so we have to figure out a way to make it work with them, even though they're messed up, even though they're constantly turning away from you. Because God said, well, hey, Moses, maybe we can try it with you. We'll start a whole new nation with you. And Moses said, no, you've chosen these people. Let's figure it out. And so at that point, Moses begins to have this further conversation with God where he says, I need to understand more about who you are. I need to see you. I need to understand what it means to really be worshiping you, being your son, leading your people that you have chosen out of all the world. What does it look like? So I guess one thing, first of all, that we can take away from Exodus as we look at the story of Moses and God um, is that it's okay to have real frank conversations with God, right? We can come to God and we can ask God what we want. We can ask God about what we're concerned about. We can ask God about questions that we have. And so for any, you know, kids that are out there, that's something to remember even from a, an early age. You can talk to God and tell God what is on your heart and mind. Maybe some of us who have been Christians for a long time might struggle with that. I have to say certain words at certain times, whereas Moses gives us this example of this is a God who wants relationship with me, so I'm going to have an open back and forth with him and talk about what I see and what I want uh, to see happen because of what I understand about him. Moses does that fearlessly before God. And God responds and says, I find favor with you. I am pleased with who you are because of how you are engaging in relationship with me. So when we understand God's favor in our lives, that provides us protection. That provides us security and safety, uh, a sense of wholeness in who we are and who we're meant to be because we know he loves us. He wants to be near us. We found favor in his presence. That's what we see here in this passage. And God says to Moses, you want to see who I am? You're going to be, I'm going to have my whole goodness pass before you. You're not going to be able to see me face to face, but my goodness is going to pass before you. God speaks to Moses as, as one would to a friend, Scripture tells us. Now, this idea of not seeing God's face, it's kind of a continuing theme throughout Exodus and throughout the Old Testament. See, the idea behind God choosing the people of Israel is God is saying, I want to live among you like your neighbor. But of course, God himself is all light and we're darkness. We have plenty of darkness in our lives. We have plenty of things that are not of God. And God himself is all light. 
So when you bring anything that's dark into his presence, his light consumes it. So we see that happen over and over in the Exodus in the Old Testament. People try to bring darkness into God's presence, and God cannot tolerate darkness in his presence because he is, by definition, all light, all goodness, all truth, all righteousness. So anytime they bring that stuff into his presence, he consumes it because that's his very nature. But his design is that he would be in their lives like a neighbor, like a friend, like a father, like a brother— so that they would learn how to be the people he's created them to be. In fact, this is a lot of what Exodus is about. After you get through those first 13 chapters, God begins to talk about this idea of his tabernacle and the different things that we're going to do to set up his tabernacle and the different uh, sacrifices, feasts, meals that we're going to have. And when you really understand what God is saying here when he talks about the tabernacle and living on the people of Israel— He's, he's trying to set up a place for himself, a house for himself, to live among his people. So you see a little graphic I put there on the screen that kind of outlines the way that it was supposed to look when the people of Israel were camping. You have the neighborhoods of Gad, Simeon, Reuben, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, all these different neighborhoods. And right in the middle, the central downtown point where everybody crosses through to go any place they want to go, is the tent of meeting where you get to go and meet with God. And every day when you walk past, you're going to smell bread baking. And what better smell is there, right, than fresh bread baking? I can't talk. You understand what I'm trying to say, though. And also, there's meat that's being grilled. Every day, there's a whole bunch of meat that's being grilled. And what better smell is that, right, than somebody has steaks or hamburgers on the grill. Sorry for the vegetarians. Cauliflower on the grill. Uh, and... And it smells great, right? Because you're going by and there's something prepared for you every day. That's, that's the idea. God says, I'm going to set my meeting place right in the middle of this neighborhood, and you're going to get to come and meet with me. But there's a particular plan to make it happen. There's people who are specially trained to make sure that everything's right for you to come before God's presence, so you don't have to worry about this idea of the darkness you have before you. Uh, you're going to try to make sure that you're free of disease, so that's the reason why there's different rules about what you can and can't eat. You go through and you look at what the people of Israel could and couldn't eat. A lot of it is because, hey, you eat if you eat pork that isn't well prepared, you will die, right? So let's just stay away from the pork thing. There's a whole bunch of different rules like that, right, that he says, look, this is the way that it has to be so that you're not bringing disease and darkness into my presence. When you come to the tent of meeting with God, when you have fresh food with God, you don't want to come back home really sick, right? So God says, let's try to make sure that doesn't happen. All these different rules revolve around how can you and I get together and establish a relationship friend to friend, which is what he does here with Moses in Exodus chapter 33. God says, you and I have this great relationship. You want to know more about who I am? I'm going to show you my goodness. When we know who God is and God's favor and pleasure for us, we can confidently come before him and ask him to show us who he is. Ask him to reveal more of himself to us. Ask him to answer our prayers. Ask him to enter into our lives and do something new. Uh, that's a beautiful idea, and that's, that's really seen for us clearly here in Exodus. All right, let's keep reading. Isaac, uh, Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 through 7. Moses chiseled out two new stone tablets like the first ones. He'd broken the first ones because he got really mad, understandably. Chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. 
and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not live the guilt, leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, so the next thing we see in this passage is God's image proclaims his character. When we see God, we understand who he is. When his image is passed before us, we understand his very nature. Now, I want to, first of all, deal with the last part of what I read here. The last part of what I read here is that God does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the sin of the fathers to the children for the third and fourth generation. That is not the central focus of what God says here. In fact, it is, it's a corollary. It's meant to turn you back towards the beginning. If you want to understand God's graciousness, his compassion, you have to understand the sin that he has to deal with. What is he compassionate for if there isn't such a thing as sin? Why do we need his graciousness? Why do we need his forgiveness, his love, his anger that doesn't last? Because we're aware of our sin. That's kind of the, the purpose here of this passage. Uh, it kind of makes me wonder, just for a second, it makes me wonder, you know, if you, if you were writing this passage and you were trying to describe the character of the God that you want, let's be honest with me today, would you have stopped before those last phrases? Would you have said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin? That's it. That's all we need to know. That sounds like a great God. Thank you, God. And go out and know that no matter what happens, you're always going to forgive. You're always loving, compassionate, and gracious. Well, if that's the case, it doesn't sound like a God who's honestly aware of what's happening in the world, right? If, if I'm going to worship a true God, and again, Exodus, Genesis, all these passages are about getting to know this God, right? That's what Moses is saying. I need to know who you really are, God. I need to understand. If I'm going to communicate to these people, if I'm going to lead them as you want me to lead them, I need to understand who you are. And so part of what God says here is, I take sin seriously. And there are serious consequences for sin. And sin being you deciding you can do what you want without regard to what I have told you I want for your life. Sin being the idea of sourcing my own life. That's the idea here. God is saying, I'm going to be right in the middle of the tent of meeting. You're going to come here and meet with me and know what you're supposed to do for your life. But if you want to do your own thing, you're going to go off into sin, and there are going to be consequences for that. For me, for me, when I think about God, I am grateful that he's this kind of God. Because I can tell you what would happen if I did not discipline my children. <laughs> if my children did not know that at some point, if you continue to do that, there are going to be consequences for that that could last your whole life. If you run out in the parking lot and you get hit by a car... Right? There are consequences for that that last for generations for everybody involved. You need to listen to me now. Right? You should hear that perspective from God when he's talking to Moses. What he's saying is that it really matters that you listen to me because the consequences of doing what you want, whenever you want, however you want, are going to last for generations. Your children aren't going to choose it. You're going to put it upon them because of the choices that you make to do what you want instead of what I've called you to do. So it should be a message of hope to us that that's the case. Now, let's go back to the beginning of this passage, the, pa the part that we really need to focus on. 
there are nine times throughout Scripture that what God says at the beginning of this passage, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, there are nine times this passage is quoted throughout the Old Testament. It is the most quoted passage. It is the most quoted phrase in all the Old Testament. You can find it in the prophets. You can find it in the Psalms. You can find it randomly popping up in historical books. When the people of Israel want you to understand who God is, they say he's the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's the God that we worship. The God who knows exactly who we are in all of our messiness, like we've talked about in Genesis. He's chosen a messy people and loves us anyway and has compassion and grace he wants to pour out upon us. How beautiful is it that Moses is there? He's hiding in a rock. All of this power and light and glory is passing in front of him. In fact, it's so overwhelming he can't look at it directly or he will die because of how amazing and beautiful it is. Think of it this way. If you see it, it'll just like burn up your brain, right? Because it's just too much for your brain to handle of how great and amazing and awesome this God is. All he can see is the nature of this God. When God passes before him and his image comes before him, he can just see the nature of who God is. And when he sees his nature, he's the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love and faithfulness for generations, forgiving rebellion, wickedness, and sin. That's who God is. And when we see Jesus come, right, Jesus comes so that we can see him face to face. Jesus comes and takes on a body like mine so I can see him face to face. He enters into the darkness of this world so that I can touch and interact with this God. And what do we see when we see Jesus? We see the gracious and compassionate God maintaining love and forgiveness, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving wickedness, rebelling, and sin. Jesus who comes to us and says, I've not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will live. The image that God presents to Moses here is the image that we see in Jesus. And it's God who speaks to Moses and says, this is who I want the people to know. Every rule that I've given you, every uh, step that you're meant to take is meant to reveal this in your life so that you can know it, embrace it, and share it with others. And I wonder as we look at it, uh, if we can remember the fact that when God says, this is my image, this is my character, this is who I am, Remember that from the very beginning of Genesis, God said, my design is that the world would know this by looking at you. Each one of us are meant to live this way, are meant to be gracious and compassionate people, slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The world is supposed to know that image of God. They can't look at him face to face. It'll blow our minds. But it's meant to know who he is through each one of us, through the presence of Jesus living in us. All of that is beginning to be uh, prophesied and looked at here. All right, let's continue in the passage here. Um, uh, sorry, I've got a, a digital form of this. Uh, Exodus 34, 8 through 9. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Uh, See, so this, this is a beautiful prayer from Moses, I think. It, it, I'm just encouraging you today, pray honest things to God. 
I don't care what you think and what words come to your mind. Say what's honestly in your heart and mind to God. He's willing to take it. He's willing to hear it, and that's where he'll begin to deal with you. So Moses says, look, if this is going to happen, you're going to have to be with us. And over and over, Moses is the one who says, don't give up on this experiment. Even though you're all light and we're all darkness, and that's continually causing all this conflict, it's worth it. It's worth it to know you. It's worth it to give up anything that we have to give up to be close to you. Whatever you ask for us, it's worth it because you're the God that we need. Moses says that over and over. And Moses in this passage very honestly says, I understand we're a stiff-necked people. We're stubborn cusses, and you're going to have to deal with us that way, one way or another. Understand, we know who we are, but it's going to be worth it because of who you are, and you've chosen us as your inheritance. We're the ones that you've chosen as your inheritance. Um, isn't that just an amazing thing to think about, that God looks at all the nations of the world, he looks at all the things in the universe, and he says, this is going to be my child, my hope, my legacy for the future is right here. This is what I'm going to be remembered for. I, I was thinking about this passage and thinking about what I might be remembered for. I feel like, you know, most likely, you know, someday when I go to be with Jesus, I'll be remembered for a little while, of course, you know, hopefully my kids and their kids will remember me, and then maybe those great grandkids, they won't know me because I'll be dead by then, but maybe they'll have heard about me and there'll be some things they remember, but eventually my name will be gone from the earth. Eventually, you know, you'll be able to Google it and see whatever, right, an obituary, but there's not going to be any, there aren't going to be statues to me, there's not going to be, you know, something that people will look at for a long time, but what will my legacy be? Honestly, my legacy will be what I am able to pass on to my children and to those who come under my sphere of influence throughout the world to say, this is what following Jesus looks like. This is what it means to be faithful to him in the world, because that will not end when I die. It won't end when my children die or when their children die. It will be passed on because that's the way it's meant to be. That's, the way, that's what it's all about. It's love that's passed from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation as Jesus regenerates each new generation. That's what my legacy will be if it lasts. And God, in an even bigger sense, says that's what he wants his legacy to be. He has put all of his chips in. He has placed all of his stocks and all of his money on this one idea that each one of us would show the world who he is. And it's, it's all realized in Jesus and then made known in each of our lives through the Holy Spirit. So my question for you today, my question for you today is, what kind of sacrifices, what kind of decisions, what kind of uh, actions are you taking to make this God known in your life. See, when I was, when I was young, uh, I don't know, when I first started reading for pleasure on my own, like I'd get to choose a book and read it, right? I, I remember, you know, I, I'd ask for a book for Christmas or my birthday, I'd get it, and if I brought it home, and if it had, if it had a profanity in it, I would go and I would, I would scribble it out. And you see, you can go in my library right now, and you can find all these different books where I, as a child, scribbled out these different books, words. Now, I don't do that anymore, and I, I think it's okay, because I've got to a different place in life, right, where I don't feel, you know, I don't feel like I'm being led into sin by hearing or, or you know, reading a profanity. 
But I, I was thinking about that in relation to this passage because as a child, I felt like this was a way that I could set apart my mind to be a little bit different. I didn't want to start using those words. I didn't want to start thinking of the world in those profane ways and, and bring up these words that just, you know, just are expressions of anger and, you know, kind of make, you know, different things just common in our lives that shouldn't be common. So I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to be really intentional about that. Now, like I said, I think I've moved on from that. I don't have to be that, that child who made those decisions. But it, it made me think, what kind of decisions am I making on a daily basis to say my mind and my heart is the meeting place, the tent of meeting where other people get to encounter this gracious and compassionate God? What decisions am I making to say I'm going to keep this place clean for you? usable for you. I'm going to set this place apart as a place where you and I meet, and anyone who encounters me gets to meet you. Because the whole point of Exodus is saying, you need to make those decisions. And I can't tell you exactly what it looks like. I could give you some hints. Maybe it's about choosing what, are, what you're going to watch or not watch in TV and movies. I don't know. Maybe it's about choosing what you're going to do on a daily basis, what kind of conversations you're going to engage. I could go on a while about this. The whole point is that the God of the universe wants to be at the central point of your life. So everything that happens, everything that comes in and out flows through him. And he is all light. And in his presence, we're made whole. In his presence, all of our darkness is dispelled. All our wounds are healed. All our brokenness is made right. You don't want to get away from that. So whatever is keeping you from that presence, let's put it aside. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for uh, your, your freedom, Lord, that you've brought about in our lives. Lord, for setting us free from sin, for setting us free from everything that tries to control us uh, and make us something other than what you want us to be. Uh, Lord, I, I know for the people of Israel, it was the, the real physical uh, reality of slavery pressing in on their lives. And, and all of Exodus begins with this terrible story of, of Pharaoh killing the uh, Hebrew baby boys. Uh, but in our lives, Lord, in so many different ways, we have these forces that pull us away from you, forces that uh, seek to have us sacrifice our lives or the lives of our children on the altars of materialism, on the altars of lust, on the altars of, of um, uh, money, and Lord, so many other things, Lord, that pull on us and drive us into slavery. But you set us free, Jesus. You enter into our lives and say, I'm the gracious and compassionate God whose love abounds, who is slow to anger, Lord, who uh, forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Lord, I want to know you in that way. I want to have you be at the central point of my life in the tent of meeting that anyone who meets with me, anyone who knows me, encounters you. Whatever it is that's keeping me from that, take it away from me. I don't care what I have to not eat, not uh, say, not do, not think, whatever it is that I want to put out of my life. Let yourself be the center point of my existence and everything that happens to me flow through you. Lord, we uh, are thankful that you're the God who knows that we're a stiff-necked people. You're the God who knows that we're messed up, and you still love us anyway, and you call us to relationship with yourself. Thank you, Lord, for that, and we just ask that you would be with us as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand in as you're able and join us in worship. I think uh, those are great words to think about. When we talk about 
about the idea of sin and being in God's presence and him being worth so much more than that. Nothing is worth more. Nothing can compare to your presence. So whatever it is in your life, as you look at your life and you say, that's not, that may not be what God wants for me. Or even if you're like, I'm not sure. I don't know. This might be, I don't know. Bring it before Jesus. Bring it before God. Let his Holy Spirit convict you. Be open to it. Let your conscience be open to him saying, this isn't what I want for you. What I have for you is so much more. Go forth and, and seek that out. Amen.